What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got Paul Jordan, professional rugby player and ketogenic carnivore. How are you, man? Yeah, good. Uh, thanks for having me on, on your show, man. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So talk to me about rugby, man. I honestly don't have any knowledge of rugby at all. I know it's basically like football, except without padding. So that seems more, more dangerous than what we have here in the States. Um, yeah, if you, if you want to compare it to something, it's a lot like football. Um, but the only pads we wear is just a mouth guard. Some guys wear some um, like shoulder pads, but nothing close to what, uh, what you guys um, wear in the, in, in the NFL and stuff. Um, yeah, it's a physical sport. Um, your body gets beat up badly, um, but it's it's fun. And how long have you been doing that, man? Uh, I started playing when I was six years old, but I've been professional for what seven years now. And all the while in France? No, so I'm I'm actually from uh, South Africa, and uh, played uh, professional in South Africa for five years, and um, I've been in France for the last two, just over two years. Gotcha, gotcha. I- I've talked to a few people from South Africa, man. It seems like the um, the fitness and nutrition space is, is popping there. Like it's it's a pretty big theme there. Um, it's it's nothing compared to the states, man. The states is where everything's happening. But um, yeah, it's slowly taking off um, in South Africa. So, I, I, yeah, it has to go a long way before it re- it's really before it really takes off. But um, we hope that it'll get there someday. I guess people that complain about uh, their options here in the States just don't have any perspective to what it's like in the other parts of the world. No, no. The States is way ahead in so many things. Even even just looking at like keto options or keto foods or carnivore, it's all happening in the States. Um, in South Africa, it's like if you talk about keto, they're like, what, what are you talking about? And it's just taking off. And, and in France, it's almost like non-existent because – all they eat over here is uh, is carbs, bro. It's just bread, pizza, pasta. It's basically staple for them. Do you? I mean, is there anybody there? Like, do you ever hear it on the streets? Like, when you're just talking to people, you know, day to day. Like, does anybody have really any reference to it at all? Um, Takeda, no. I've never heard any French um, person speak about keto uh, in my wow. two years. That's that's impressive, man. We got a lot of work to do. Talk to me about your your transition to professional rugby, man. Like, what was what was that like? How how did you from six years old playing rugby specifically? Did you play other sports, or was that pretty much always your calling? So, <clears throat> primary school played all the sports there there was to offer: um, rugby, tennis, cricket, um, swimming, athletics, basically anything you could name. Um, I did in primary school. And then high school, I narrowed it down and I played a little bit of rugby and cricket. And um, I did athletic, athletics just to keep my speed up, to work on my speed for the rugby. And then when I was about 16 years old, I stopped cricket and I only played rugby for the last two years of um, high school. And um, the school I went to was really famous for rugby in South Africa. And... Um, so if you sort of make the first first 15, you like automatically get like a professional contract somewhere. 
and uh, played for the first 15 for two years. Um, got a good contract. So yeah, played um, played like uh, I think it was my calling. I really enjoyed it, and then I was very fortunate. I played uh, straight out of school. I played for the South African national side, but sevens aside, so rugby's fifteen man side, but there's a seven seven man um, seven man side as well, and I got picked for the seven man side and played for them, and that opened up a couple of doors for me, and um, yeah, I played uh, professionally for the. It's a team called the Sharks down in Durban, South Africa, for for five years, um, and then moved over to France two years ago. In in playing professional rugby, as long as you have, what do you do like with your your training specifically? I mean, do you kind of cater your training style, um, you know, to maximize your potential with rugby as a standalone sport, or do you? Like, like your resistance training, for instance, like your cardio, like what, what's your training look like? Um, so basically fit in with the team. Uh, so we've got fitness trainers, um, you know, fitness, got a bio, uh, we've got a gym, gym trainer and they've got team sessions, but, um, over the years I've learned what works for me and what doesn't. So I sort of do my own, th- own thing in the gym and then. Fitness wise, so we we go through like a preseason where for about two years of the or two months of the year we don't play rugby. We'll do like fitness and um, gym and rugby every single day, like four or five times a week. But at the moment we are in season, meaning we're playing games on the weekend, so the training is a little bit different. So we'll normally have a game on a on a Saturday, then Sunday is just rest and recover monday we'll go in we'll do a recovery session and then if your body's up to it you can do a gym session and um and then we've got a rugby a light rugby session in the afternoon um on a tuesday we've got a a gym session compulsory and uh then we've got two rugby sessions as well so we've got uh one session where we split up and then one session as a team and then normally Wednesdays are off, Thursdays are uh, split session, gym session, and then team session. Uh, Fridays is a light day where we just do uh, like a captain's run, just go through everything for the game on Saturday. And then Saturday we play and then uh, that process happens week in and week out. So you're, you're getting significantly less resistant training in when you're in season because I mean, most of your focus is on the, the games as it should be. Um, do you notice any like strength decreases that you like notice yourself losing strength or size at all in season? Um, yeah. So obviously during the preseason, you try and not really bulk up, but gain some strength because you're trying to get it, hit the gym every day, uh, trying to put on a little bit of muscle. Um, and then during season, the focus is just to maintain as much as possible. Um, it's almost impossible to maintain. Because uh, every weekend, it's like your body's in a car crash. Um, so every week, there's something that's sore. If it's not your quad that got a knock during the game, it might be your shoulder or you got a knock on your back or something sore. So you try and work around that. Um, but in season, it's mainly just trying to maintain um, 
you know, what you build up during the preseason. Have you so, had any pretty substantial injuries yourself? Yeah, uh, so I've been uh, real unlucky with the injury injury list. Um, but that's that's just part of the game. So I did my ankles when I was real young, never repaired them. And then I uh, finally had surgery on my ankles in about 2009. I had surgery on both ankles, uh, just ligaments. I've mm-hmm. done my ACL twice. Um, so that's a big surgery. And then after that, you off the field for eight months. Um, I've broken my left leg. I've broken and dislocated my left hip. Um, I popped an AC joint in my shoulder. I've had meniscus removed in my right knee. Um, I've broken my cheekbone twice and I've broken my nose twice. Oh man. Um, like it's crazy to me that there's just no padding hardly. I mean, it's like full, full tackle, but just, you know, forget the padding. Let's just have injuries. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty physical sport and like, I'm not the biggest guy, so I I'm around I'm sitting around about ninety kilograms, and I play against guys who are up to one hundred and fifty kilograms. So um, yeah, it's uh it's physical and um, it's tough, but it's so much fun and um, yeah, it's a it's a it's I, if I can put it like this, I'm I'm doing what I love and I'm getting paid really good money for it. So. No, that's that's yeah. awesome, man. I mean, that's, that's what everybody aspires to in life, you know. Yeah, yeah. The only only problem is when I'm older. I think I'm gonna feel it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, man. I wouldn't be surprised. But what is your what does your nutrition look like over the course of the years you've been playing professional rugby, and how has that changed? And and what have you noticed that having an impact on with regard to your performance? So I um was at school i was at boarding uh, at boarding boarding house and uh, i just ate what i got and it was ridiculous ridiculously bad foods like high carb foods so up until the age of about 18 my uh, my diet was non-existent then after school um i didn't really care much about my diet for the first two or three years and um then I started going low carb, and uh, I just thought that th- that was the way to go. But it didn't really make any difference to my to my uh, capabilities. Like I didn't feel any improvement, um, recovery wise, sleep wise, training wise. Um, and then. Uh, I really struggled with inflammation because of all the injuries. So I felt that I, I I was always sore after training. Like I couldn't really train my legs during the season because I'd do a, uh, a training session and my legs would be sore for the next week. I could barely run mm-hmm. after a big leg because I just had so much muscle pain and soreness and inflammation. And then after moving to France, I somehow stumbled like upon keto on, on YouTube, I think, and I uh, did a bit of research and I thought, Should I, I'm almost eating like this. I'm low carb, but I'm not close to keto. My fats aren't close to high enough and um, I'm still having bread and still having pasta and rice every now and then. And 
So it was real interesting coming across it. And uh, the more research I did, the more I thought, look, I'll, I'll give it a go and see how it goes. Um, and then so I started doing keto about 18 months ago, 18 to 20 months ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved it. For me, the biggest difference was my inflammation levels. So like I said, I think I had, I didn't, that nobody ever confirmed it, but I think I had like chronic inflammation. And then ever since going keto, my inflammation was so much better. So uh, my recovery was a lot better. And I felt that like I can, I can actually train and uh, I'm not that sore. And then another big difference was my, my mental clarity. Like uh, during trainings and stuff, I didn't make, close to as many mistakes as I used to. So my focus was a lot better. Um, and I felt amazing. Like, uh, but when I started out, I actually did all the research and every thing I read on high intensity sport and training and stuff said that you need carbs to perform at a high level doing high intensity exercises or training or sport. So for the, uh, I did it during my preseason. I did keto, felt great. And then when the game started, I thought I'll do keto during the week and then I'll incorporate some carbs during the weekend um, on mm-hmm. game day because it, it's a bit harder on game day than during training. And um, I did it the first week and I felt absolutely terrible because I, I've, I was on keto for about six to eight weeks by that stage. And um, the first game came and I had carbs uh, on game day and I felt shit. And then I thought, yes, but this is, something's not right. Um, And then after the game, straight back to keto, did keto the whole week. And then the next game came and I had carbs again and I felt terrible during the game. And um, I was like, this is not working for me. So I tried like going like um, low low GI carbs, like slow release um, carbs, mm-hmm. like lentils and those th- those kind of things before a game. And that didn't work e- either. And then I was like, shit, but I feel so amazing during the week when I train. Why don't I just do full keto on game day as well? Stuff what the, what the experts say about you need carbs to perform at a high level. So I said, stuff that I'm going to go keto on game day as well. And, uh, we play with GPSs that monitor like the speed and the distance and all of that that you run during the game and uh, your impacts and stuff. So I um, went full keto and uh, nothing changed. Not my speed on the GPS, not my running meters. And I felt a lot better. I felt great during the game. And then ever since then, I went full on keto um, during every game, I think the only time I jumped out of keto was on a holiday once where there wasn't there wasn't any foods to sustain keto um, mm-hmm. down in the Seychelles. But other, other than that, I perform exactly the same level on z- almost zero carbs than what I did on carbs. So to me, it doesn't make a difference. Um, and like I said, everything was better. The only thing that I found that wasn't um, that wasn't a positive for me on keto was my my protein was very low, 
And I felt that in the gym, I was definitely a little bit weaker than what I what I normally was. Um, although mm-hmm. my fats were very high, I still felt that I, my my gym performance wasn't that great. I felt weaker during, in, in the gym. Um, but it, it didn't bother me because there were so many other benefits. So I, I stuck to that for you know, almost 17 eight or 16 months. And then I've been doing carnivore for about three months now. Not full-on carnivore, like carnivore keto. That's what I call it, carnivore keto, because I still incorporate bulletproof coffee and I still keep my fats high. But I've upped my protein a lot. And... Um, I, I, I have like half an avocado a day and uh, going carnival keto just took it to another level for me. Like I feel everything the same as keto. My brain's working the same. Um, but there's definitely things that I've picked up that's better than keto. So I, I, I've got a, like a fitness tracker wristband that tracks every single heartbeat during the day. It gives me a recovery score. It tells me, how much calories I've burned in every single session, what my heart rate was. It's its really a cool device. And then it tells me exactly how long I sleep, how long I spend in bed, how many times I woke up. And, and during keto, I used to go to bed 10 o'clock at night and then wake up at 7 o'clock. And I used to think that I slept nine hours until I started wearing this uh, strap. And it told me, no, you were in bed for nine hours but you only slept seven hours, 15 minutes or seven hours, 30 minutes or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then ever since, go, ever since going carnival, I, I, I spent nine hours in bed, but I sleep for eight hours, 45 minutes or nine hours wow. sometimes. Um, so my sleep is, has gone through the roof since I've gone carnival keto. Um, and my recovery has gone through the roof because my sleep is so much better. And uh, the biggest change that I've felt from going carnivore keto um, is my strength in the gym is incredible. I feel so strong in the gym. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit of my story on, on keto. And, and you think um, that's mostly attributed to the increased protein? Yeah, I definitely think it's, um, it's the increase in protein. But... Uh, I like I said, I still keep my fats high. <laughs> I actually, I think it's uh, carnivore keto is a little bit more strict than keto. Keto is is a, a eliminating diet, so you eliminate a lot of things, but it still gives you the lean way, uh, leeway to have a sweet treat or some or a sweetener here and there, and it, and it gives you that leeway. Where carnivore keto is strict, straight up. This is what you eat. This is what you can't eat. And uh, it's tightening up the ropes even further than keto. And I think by doing that and upping my protein, um, it's all work, worked out well. Yeah. So what, what's a typical day of eating look like for you now? Um, so if I can, if I, sometimes we get meals at the, at the training center and then I'll eat what they give me. So they normally have some steak or e- either some chicken like today was just some chicken thighs um but a normal if i can pick my meals on a normal day i'll have bulletproof coffee in the morning uh before i go to training but i i have quite a big bulletproof coffee so i put just like 30 grams of butter 30 grams of coconut oil 15 grams of uh, mct powder 
Um, and I recently started adding like a perfect keto has got a, a collagen protein shake that's half or that's like, I think per scoop, 10 grams of protein and five grams of fat. So I add half a scoop of that. So my bulletproof coffee in the morning is like seven to 800 calories already. Um, and then I can go on that for the whole day if I would like, but then normally I'd have, um, steak or eggs or some salmon um or some ground beef for lunch and then i will always try and have like a big um a big ribeye steak for dinner with some smoked salmon on the side and uh, like half an avocado so that's basically what i eat on a daily basis and my calories on average i would say is yeah anything from 4,000 to 4,500. Yeah, very good, very good. I think, you know, you're, you're definitely right in keeping the fats higher. Have you ever tried a carnivore, like a more traditional carnivore, in which you're not really adding any fats, you're just eating what's on the, the meat itself? Have you ever tried that? No, not really. When I started, when I started out um, carnivore, uh, I actually went just straight on carnivore and... Uh, it wasn't a great start because we had like a, a rugby camp and we were away. So I had to eat what they gave me and the food wasn't great. Um, so I blame it on that as well. But the only thing that I didn't really like from from strict carnivore was um, my bowel movements were good, but it was just water. Like my body absorbed everything, all the meat, protein, fat that I put in. And then all that came out was just a little bit of water. And um, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't like that that much. So, I I used to love my bulletproof coffee on keto, and um, I'm lazy in the morning, so bulletproof is the easiest thing. So I brought that back, and um, I brought back half an avocado, and everything is working perfectly. Do you add like butter to your steak and and your meat throughout the day? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely try and add some butter wherever I can. Um, so I cook cook my steak in butter and a little bit of olive oil, and then I'll chuck that over afterwards as well. Very good, very good. I've had several clients that have played around with keto, and, and I think it's great, you know, or played around with carnivore, but I think the more you manipulate and try and experiment with things, the, the more, you know, in tune you're going to get with your body. But just one common trend that I've noticed is people that do carnivore and they don't pay attention to their fat ratios they'll often start to, you know, feel more bloated, feel more lethargic and not really get a lot of the benefits that they would from carnivore if they were to increase the fat ratio a bit. I mean, whenever I kind of go through like a carnivore phase, which I'll sometimes cycle in and out, I always try to make sure that my, my fat ratio still stays around 80%, which is kind of like my sweet spot. I'll just manipulate my foods so that they're all carnivore-based foods, but I don't ever, you know, not, not incorporate the fats as well. Yeah, look, I'm I'm listening to um, an audio book. Let's just see what it's called. Uh, it's called The Big Fat Surprise, and um, mm -hmm. in there I talk about like if you go and look at the the healthiest people in the world, they'll go like they say, for instance, the Maasai group in Africa have got like some of the best readings on like heart tests and those cholesterol and all those kind of things. And all they eat is like the fatty cuts of meat. Uh, and then if you look at the Eskimos, 
Um, they also just eat the fatty cuts of meat. So I think mm-hmm. people going carnivore, but but going carnivore with not enough fat is definitely a problem. I don't think that protein, just protein, is the answer. I think you 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 have to keep your fats high, um, because yeah, if you go and look at the studies, the fat fats are even more important than um, than the proteins. And uh, but the thing is, like people have been like um, eating saturated fats for so long, like saying saturated fats are bad, saturated fats this that, and now more and more people are realizing that saturated fats are actually not that bad for you. Um, so yeah, I, I I've been following the, uh, Dr. Sean Baker, and he's mm-hmm. been doing carnivore, like strict carnivore, for over two years now, maybe two and a half years, but he only eats ribeye steak. And if you go and look at the the content of a ribeye steak, it's basically half fat and half protein. Um, mm-hmm, exactly. So carnivore is definitely high fat still. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, making sure you're getting enough fat in there and, and choosing the fattier cuts of meat is key. Like a lot of people will, will jump on carnivore and they'll just be eating you know, like chicken or turkey or like a sirloin or, a, you know, tenderloin or really lean cuts of meat. And when they do that, their ratios are so far skewed in the, you know, favor of protein relative to fat that they're not really able to tap into the full potential of converting themselves into fat burning mode more so than just ramping up gluconeogenesis. Um, at least that's what I've been able to find in, in my experimentation. And you look at, you know, traditional bodybuilders too. And they'll oftentimes phase out their carbs completely and they'll leave their protein sky high, but they'll, they'll have really low fat as well. And that's basically what they're doing uh, in essence. I mean, they're, they're not really adapting. It's not really their, their plan to get in ketosis. But you look at how terrible they feel and perform, I think that's largely due to the fact that, you know, gluconeogenesis ramped up and their body is inefficiently creating energy through that process whether, rather than, you know, using carbs or using fats are just kind of in purgatory almost yeah yeah um i actually uh we 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 had a trip to russia the other day and like the i think it's like the best bodybuilder in russia was on the plane with us and uh had a chat to him and i said to him listen i'm eating four and a half thousand calories a day and my fat i'm eating like 70 percent fat and his eyes almost popped out his head he couldn't believe it <laughs> oh yeah man like you, you tell bodybuilders they don't have a clue about like the fat i mean it's crazy they they bring it down so low that all of their hormones start getting jacked up too of course there are a lot of those pro bodybuilders are taking in a bunch of exogenous hormones you know some steroids anabolic <laughs> anabolics you know so that that kind of skews the data a little bit yeah no no it's um it's actually quite, uh, yeah, it's not sad, but it's what they put their bodies through is, is not ideal, I believe. Like the guy said to me, he spends about 10 grand a month just trying to keep his body healthy. Like after every training session, he goes on a drip with like five different things just to make make sure that his kidneys are still functioning and cleaning out his liver every single day. And I was like, bro, why are you doing this? This is it's it's ridiculous obviously because he said he's using testosterone for like three months on and then three months off and he has to spend all this money just to make sure that his kidneys are functioning and trying to get his natural testosterone to work again after using all this testosterone and it's 
it's ridiculous the things they do to themselves yeah i completely agree man i mean the reason i got into to bodybuilding in the first place was to be you know healthy i wanted to you know project a, a you know a vision of health both myself and the people that i hopefully you know <laughs> inspire in some form or fashion and for me you know if i was to start introducing those kind of performance enhancing drugs like i would be sacrificing the whole reason I got into the sport in the first place. And it's just not a worthwhile trade-off, in my opinion, for for me as an individual. But, I mean, a lot of people do it and, you know, they they, they reach their goal, whatever that may be. But, I don't know, like, I think people need to take a more holistic approach to whatever their sport is, their chosen sport, but then also, you know, the health that they associate and in, in, in incorporate on in a day-to-day basis in becoming the best they can be at that sport. Like, you're you're doing the professional rugby and you know you've constantly been manipulating your diet to figure out what's best for you but i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to sacrifice your health in the long run to reach a short term goal it's just it's not worth it in my opinion no no definitely not i spoke to a client last night and he said um that he's been focusing on his financial goals for so long that his health has taken a back seat and his um his weight's terrible. He's not feeling great. And I said to him, bro, without your health, your financial uh, situation is worthless in any way. Because if, you, if, you, um, if you're unhealthy or if you're sick and lying in, in bed or in hospital, your, fi- your finances aren't going to do anything for you. So first, look at your health. Make sure that you're healthy. And then you can start focusing on other things. Yeah, 100%, man. I completely agree with you there. You know, there's there's got to be a balance. I mean, I don't know, like like you're a professional athlete, like you're probably an extremist in a lot of ways, as I am. So it's it's tempting to just want to you know laser focus in on one specific you know paramount goal that you have. But if you don't have some degree of balance between all the other areas of your life, then there's just not really much of a life there. Um, so I think I think that is key for sure. You know, putting your health on a level playing field and, and not putting all your attention into into just the finances. But I mean, for you as a professional athlete, how how do you balance everything? I mean, that's a pretty time consuming and tremendous commitment. I mean, how do you find a balance in your life? Um so a lot of people ask me like uh, on Instagram and online, how do I stay committed? But um for me it's it's quite it's it's real easy because I love what I do. I said it to you earlier. And um, my dad's got a quote on his wall that says, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And uh, so for me, enjoying what I'm doing at the moment really helps. And then trying to balance that out with like family, finances. um, (laughs) It's not always that easy because we're all chasing this, um, this, I don't know what to, what to call it, but we're all chasing finances in uh, somehow, and uh, some things always like take a backseat to that. But um, for me, I need to, yeah, I try and focus, like set up times that I can work a little bit. I know I've, when I'm at the at the training center that I have to work there, but as soon as I leave the uh, the rugby training center, I don't think about rugby anymore. I start thinking about my little online business, my wife, what I need to do around the house. Um, so I definitely think like it's uh, it's not as easy. It's not, um, 
you know, it's not as easy to to balance everything out, but we need to try and make like a a real effort, sit, think um, about it, and uh, you know, put effort into balancing it out at the end of the day. Absolutely, man. Do Do you meditate or anything like that? Uh, I I I don't really. I I wake up, um, do my coffee, and then I meditate on with on my drive to the training center. So my drive to the training center is about 20 minutes. I do like mm-hmm. a breathing exercise on my drive there. Um, I, I, I'm religious, I'm a Christian, um, and I've got this app that I get like a little uh, five-minute sermon on every day. So I'll turn that on and listen to that on my drive. And then, uh, yeah, that's my meditation time. So I'll listen to that, have a little, uh, have a little prayer. And uh, then my day kicks off. Do you do anything on the drive back home, like to disconnect from from the the practice? I, I normally so all the way out here in France, all our family is back home in South Africa, uh, so it's quite lonely. Um, so a lot of the times on the drive back home, just to disconnect from everything on this side, I'll normally call somebody back home. So either a family member, my dad, my mom my brother back home and uh, just have like a, a little chat on the way back. And that, that just puts me on a good space. Very good, man. Yeah. Family's family's key. Are you planning on going back at any point or are you calling France home for the foreseeable future? No, I, I'm definitely going back to South Africa. So my parents are, are farmers and uh, my dad, my, my dad's the fifth generation on the property. My brother's on the farm as well, so so we're the sixth generation on the property. So the properties have been in our family for over 150 years. So it runs deep in my blood. Um, so I can't wait to get to go back one day. Um, I'm not sure when. If I could, I'll go back tomorrow. Um, but for now, I've got another two and a half year contract left in France, and uh, we'll see that out and then see what happens. That's so cool though, man. Like I've got a, I've got a farm in my family that, that's been there for four generations. And I think, you know, I, I say the same thing, like it runs deep in my blood and no matter where I'm at in the world, you know, I always kind of call that home and it just, it just runs so deeply in me. I would never be able to disconnect. Um, we're totally getting out of keto right now, but this, this is interesting. Just the same. What, what kind of farm is it? Um, so we, we do a little bit of everything. We, we farm with just normal, uh, sheep. We've got some mm-hmm. cattle. Uh, we've got a lot of wild animals. So we we run a safari business with American clients um, that come and do a little bit of trophy hunting with us. Uh, I know a lot of people are against hunting, but uh, we believe that it's a it's a very good conservation tool. Um, mm-hmm. Just a short, short story on that. So when my dad. When my dad moved to the property, my grandfather was was farming it, and my grandfather believed that he made his money off the grass from the property because his sheep and cattle that he made his money from had to eat the grass. But there was wild animals that competed for the grass that his sheep and his cattle had to eat. So he shot them and killed them like they'd have family hunts and people over every weekend and he'd give the meat away for free and and then my dad got to the property and said but why why don't we start a little hunting business if we can make a little bit of money out of this then we don't have to kill all the animals 
And by that time, there was only four different species left. My grandparents and their grandparents killed the rest of them. And um, just by giving the animals a little bit of a value and by hunting them, my, my dad started the hunting business. And then every year when the hunting business made a little bit of profit, my dad would re- reinvest that into a different species and reintroduce the species back to the area. And um, wow. so the hunting business has, has been going on for about 30 years, and we've got over 30 different species on the property by now. That's truly, truly awesome, man. Like this, do you hunt there as well? Or like when you were living there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up there and I hunt there and uh, the meat is as natural and organic as you can get it. Um, so no, I absolutely love it. What, uh, what kind of hunting style do you prefer? Are you using um, bow? Are you arch- archery or are you going with the guns, modern gun? Uh, I do both. So I do a bit of bow hunting and then I do just the normal rifle hunting as well. And what's your preferred game to hunt? Um, so with us, we've got lots of kudu, and uh, we call mm-hmm. we call kudu the grey ghost of Africa, because the bulls, the big kudu bulls, are are so clever. It's it's ridiculous. They don't get we we say they don't get big for a reason. They get big because they're clever, um, and they can disappear on you like within a couple of yards or within a little bush. It's ridiculous. They'll hide in the smallest bush and you won't find them um so that's a challenging hunt and it's always fun have you had any like close encounters any dangerous game animals yeah we've uh my dad was almost killed by a buffalo uh, about three or four years ago um he was in hospital in icu for about 10 days buffalo got hold of him stabbed him like through his ribs uh yeah not not a good situation and yeah he was in the hospital but he made a full recovery and he's all good good now yeah cape buffalo man like that's one of the most dangerous game animals out in africa because they're just they're ruthless yeah no they they are dangerous <laughs> yeah they they look like like uh like cattle and they look easy going but they can just like react uh, within a second and then <laughs> you're in trouble how, how does one book a uh, a, a guided hunt on your on your farm, man. I've actually been wanting to do an African safari for years now, and I've never had a, a point of contact. Did not even know you had this farm. Um, so, how does one go about booking a hunt? Uh, real easy. So we've uh, we've got a website. Or well, my dad actually goes to the states every year to do a bit of marketing. He spends about three to four weeks in the states every year. Um, but we've got a website where everything's available you can check out all the photos the accommodation um the price list everything's on there and then you can just inquire and uh, we normally follow up with a call and send you all the information that you need we my mother is an accountant and she runs all the books for the businesses and uh yeah she helps all the clients with their flight details and everything that they need so it's um it's quite a simple process and then uh yeah i think 99.9 percent of the clients that come are come again for the second or third time because normally when they come the first time they'll do like they'll we we so we got like a package that we sell that's normally like um 
two small animals, one medium animal and two big animals, like for instance, a springbuck with a mountain mm-hmm. reedbuck and an impala. And then uh, most of the guys shoot kudu and gemsbuck. And then the next year they come back, they shoot five other animals. And then they come back and they hunt buffalo. And uh, yeah, so I think we've had a couple of guys, the most one guy's come, come back was like nine times, I think. And he oh, shot wow. everything. And now he just, he just comes back to visit. <laughs> he, just, he just comes back to come and visit the family because he feels like he's a family member by now. Um, yeah, so you can check that out and, on the website. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, what, what is the link in case any of the listeners are interested? Uh, the link is hunting in South Africa. No, hunting in Africa. Dot website. Gotcha, gotcha. I'll uh, I'll be jumping on there for sure, man. I'd I'd, I'd be <laughs> it'd be so cool to do this. When are you going back home? Do you have like any any uh, trips planned in the future? Or are you stuck in uh, France until the contract? We need to we need to definitely plan it when I'm back home, um, because you can't go there without me. But uh, no, I. Uh, I normally get a about a month's break in June, um, and that's when I always go home for three. Yeah, we normally go back home for four, four to five weeks, and it's normally and is there? On, yeah, our competition normally. In June? In, yeah, June. So June in South Africa is winter, so the hunting hunting period starts with us from um, about middle of March till about September. So June is June is is in winter and it's perfect time to hunt. All right, man, we're getting creative here because I I'm getting married in April and April 28th, and I was like racking my brain as far as like what would be a cool, you know, honeymoon? Like what could we do? It'd be something that I've always wanted to do, and it'd be just a a cool experience. So June, you know, it's not too far from that at all. Um, like the next month, really, I can go on an African safari when you're visiting your folks. I mean, let's plan on that, man. I'm all about this. Well, we can go train. We can go shoot some, some kudu, and then we'll uh, eat a bunch of steak. Yeah, that sounds like a fun, like a plan. I, I'm, I actually, I'm every year when I go back, I try and invest a little bit of money into my gym on the property. So I've got a, a small gym back home, um, and then every year I'll try and buy one or two like machines or some extra weights or something. Uh, because my dad actually likes to train as well. And uh, when I'm there, I love to train. So we can definitely do a bit of training, a little bit of hunting. The hunting is tough. Um, I was there I was there uh, this year and uh, I hunted for about two weeks with clients. And uh, we, we live in the mountains. So there's quite big mountains with us. And it's so much fun. Like we we used to walk on average about, 20 kilometers a day hunting um, in the mountains. And yeah, it's so much fun. You get up early. The weather's perfect with us uh, that time of year. So it's normally quite chilly in the mornings, but there's always blue skies and around about 9, 10 o'clock, the sun's out. So the temperature differs quite a bit. So during the night, it'll go down to minus two minus five degrees celsius and then during the day it gets up to like almost 20 degrees celsius so um it's yeah the best weather and uh bro it sounds like an awesome plan you should check out the website and then see 
if it's something that you would like to do um and then we can yeah, you know, we can plan it oh man I'm, i definitely would like to do it like count me in for sure what uh i don't know i've just got a bow uh for both crystal and myself we've been practicing with a bow uh these past several days and by june i i, was, I feel like I would, i'm confident enough i'd be practiced enough enough to be accurate um but i'll also bring a rifle as a backup um what do you typically hunt with um so we've got a, a couple of different calibers, so you, you don't have to worry. Just bring your bow about bringing a rifle because uh, there's a lot of permits involved and stuff, and South Africa is very shit with that. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can use one of our rifles, and uh, it, it depends on what we hunt. But I, I normally just use – I've got a little two forty three caliber, and I shoot mm-hmm. everything with that. I, I believe that if, you, if, you, if your shot is well-placed, you can kill – anything with that caliber uh, caliber um mm-hmm. but our clients normally use so we've got a, a 270 we've got a 270 short mag we've got a seven millimeter we've got a couple of 300s um and then we've got some bigger rifles for the big game as well like a 375 and a 458 um lot see i, so, I have with the 243 here uh you know white-tailed deer here i, I have a 243 and you're absolutely right. The accuracy is is key with that. But I've noticed that it's such a small, I mean, it's such a small bullet. So there's very little, you know, entry and exit. When like I've taken out both lungs and the heart before, and the deer would still run 200 yards and not hardly even bleed. Like it's very hard trail to track because there's just not enough of a, a an entry and exit wound to to bleed very much. At least at least the deer I've shot with the 243. But I don't know if I'm shooting him in the head. That that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, so I normally, if I if I'm within distance, I'll normally go for the head, just to save a mm-hmm. bit of the meat. Most of our clients just go for like the shoulder. They use a little bit of a bigger rifle. Um, yeah, and then bow hunting. Bow hunting is a little bit difficult, or it is difficult with us because our animals are quite wild because they know, know they get hunted. Um, mm-hmm. But we can definitely try, bro. We can definitely try. We had a client this year um, came came bow hunting, and um, I think he ended up sh- shooting quite a few animals with the bow. But it was mostly out of a blind. Um, but uh, what, what kind of you know, bow do you hunt with? Is it a compound or recurve? No compound. I've compound? just got a normal yeah compound point bow. Man, this this is exciting, man. Like I. Uh... <laughs> Did not think this conversation was going to go this way. I thought we were going to talk about rugby and, and carnivore, but man, this is perfect. I've got uh, I got a plan for my honeymoon now. Yeah, you can um, you can come to South Africa for two weeks or a little bit longer and and spend like seven days or ten days with us, and then you can go up to Cape Town. Cape Town's absolutely beautiful. Um, there's a lot of things you can do, bro. It's uh, it's a beautiful country. It's got a little bit of problems with politics, but um, mm-hmm. it's awesome and shoot yeah man so if i come there for the safari you'll be there at your at your ranch house and that's that's where your your home gym is as well yeah yeah so everything is there we'll we'll do a couple of training sessions like uh we so we get up early so the sun we we normally start hunting at about seven o'clock because uh, it's still dark till seven but um we normally get up like just after five train for an hour, uh, have a shower, breakfast, and then ready for the day. This is awesome, man. Because one, one of my biggest frustrations with traveling 
is, you know, oftentimes you're, you're in a place, especially remotely, and there's no, you know, sufficient gym to get a quality workout in. But shoot, man, if, as long as you got a good squat rack, I'm, I'm taken care of. No, you're taken care of, bro. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have some good sessions. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm dead serious, brother. I'll count me in on this for sure. We'll, uh, we'll kill some, some animal game, game, game animals, eat some good food and, and train hard, man. I'm in June. That's that's the time frame I need to plan on. Yeah, yeah. Look, look at June because our rugby competition. It normally depends on where we end, um, but the competition ends like the middle middle of uh, May normally, and then they normally give mm-hmm. us five weeks. So, so anything around the beginning of June um, should be good. I'll just have to, yeah. You look at your dates and then. Um, you can just send out an email and then uh, we can check if there's availability um, at the lodge at, at that time. But I'm, I'm sure we can make a plan for the beginning of June. Perfect, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, until until I go hunting with you, man, where can, uh, where can people go to find out more about you? Um, so people can find me on Instagram. So I'm mostly active on Instagram, just at Paul Jordan. Um, and then I've got a Facebook page. I've got a YouTube page, but I haven't updated that in a long time. I I haven't uploaded a video in in, yeah, in very long. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram. And then I've got a website with just uh, regular stuff. Um, yeah, trying to trying to help people, trying to teach people about keto carnivore, and uh, trying to change some lives. Awesome, man. I love it. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Keep making waves. Keep killing it in rugby. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in June, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for the chat, Robert. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll uh, definitely get that sorted. And then uh, I'll see you in June in South Africa. It's going to be awesome. Awesome, man. Awesome. Take care, brother. Thanks. Cheers, bro.